Welcome to Kashmir on the Air, your weekly radio show dealing with kosher issues for the kosher consumer. And I'm your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Kashmir Magazine. And we have a tremendous guest tonight, Rabbi Avraham Marmestein from the west side of Manhattan, the Manhadrin K. We're going to join us in just a moment. We have a number of interesting topics to discuss with him, including restaurant hashkachas, which is what he one of his specialties, uh, something about the fairways or the or different supermarkets and his hashkachas on that. And uh, and also, we may be discussing something to do with uh, Pesach already. So we have an interesting show coming right up. Before I introduce Rabbi Marmestein, I just want to make a mention that we have a program again for insect training, actually, let's say vegetable inspection for ladies. This Motzei Shabbos, Parshish Boy, Motzei Shabbos, from 7.30 till about 10, 10.30. It's a one-time, it's a complete program, teaching you how to prepare your vegetables by none other than Rabbi David Goldstein is doing the training. So this is an, a rare opportunity, and we don't know how many we'll, more we'll be able to do. But right now, we have five spots left. It was 10 and five spots that look going around. Five spots left. So if you're interested at all, any ladies interested, or the men are interested with their wives, call now. Don't wait even 10 minutes. Call 718-336-8544. Again, 718-336-8544, and we'll call you back tomorrow to finalize it. For this Mosei Shabbos, an insect infestation program training, in other words, how to check your vegetables, um, with Rabbi David Goldstein, about a two and a half, three hour program, beautiful program, we had it two weeks ago, it was a big success. And our number again, 718-336-8544. And now, without further ado, we're going to introduce our guest for this evening, who is Rabbi Avram Marmestein. Rabbi Marmestein, are you there? Yes, I am. Good evening to you. Good evening to you, boy. I, I've been trying to get you for the longest time. But Baruch Hashem, we've synchronized, and we're both talking to each other on J-Root Radio over Kasha's, in Kasha's Magazine. Beautiful. Kasha's on the air. So excited. I remember, uh, I don't remember exactly how we met, but I remember that you did a, a several articles for Kasha's Magazine. It must have been 30 years ago, although we, de- we can't be that old, but it must have been 30 years ago. It could be. That's what, certainly when the first one came out. Yeah, definitely. Um, there have been a couple the since then. About, I, I remember you did one about Pesach. You did one about Pesach, uh, the Pesach um, hand-baking matzahs with a combination yeah. of all the different... All the different spots in the in the um, matzah baking factory, and what you have to watch out for in each place—it's a classic. Yeah, uh, maybe I should do a follow-up on that because since then, I've also become involved with the uh, probably the only place in the New York area where they're actually growing wheat for matzahs. Well, that's what we're going to be discussing a little bit. But I want we'll to come start, to that later. No, yeah, later, because I really want to hear a little bit more about hashkachas per se in the in the with what our people are interested in restaurants and the supermarkets. This is something. Okay, so should time. we should we start with supermarkets? Well, let's let's start with Mahadran K. You have the okay. Mahadran K, which is recognized by a big mem and a K. Right. And, of course, they have to check because there's a lot of MKs running around. So they have to check a little bit in our book about the, this exact symbol or they'll see it somewhere on the web or whatever. But the Mahajan K is your Ashkocha. And you've right. had it for quite a few years already, I believe. Yes. Uh, I think the first establishment that came under Mahajan Kashra's supervision 
was Grossinger's Bakery in 88 or 89. Grossinger's? I think that really? was the first one. The whole bakery you had? Yeah. Wow, wow. You know That I mean, was the first. I, I want the people to know because uh, not everybody listening, they can only hear your, they only hear your accent. They don't know who you are. But uh, Rabbi Marmestein is uh, learned in the Lakewood Yeshiva many years ago because we, before he wrote for Kashas magazine. So we're talking the old Lakewood. So that was that, uh, and he's yeah, uh, and he's been a rub on. But, the it, but it's not that I'm old. I'm no. still a young man. But it's just <laughs> that I started in the Rabbanus when I was very young. Right, right. Maybe for about mitzvah, but slightly around the time. Anyway, so yeah. You know, <laughs> but the point is that you're 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 maintaining a shul on the west side too. I right. And I I sometimes tell people when they ask how long have you been involved in kashrus that I've really been active in Kashras for over 50 years. <laughs> but that's including the time when I was seven years old and I used to go along when they, um, we were on vacation in the summer in a small village in the middle of nowhere in England. So we went to the local dairy farm in order to uh, have Chalav Yisrael milk. Wow. So I tagged along, you know, I was all of six years old. Um, but it was my first time working as a professional mashkiach. I want to tell you something, Rabbi. I know you're not going to believe it, but some of the mashkichim don't do much more than you did those days. I know that. I know this for a fact. Especially well, there, you see, here now you're already onto something which is an important topic uh, in and of itself. There are many different things which we call a mashkiach. Right. For certain things, all we need is that there should be. A frumayid, a person who is reliable, dependable, to be there just to see that nothing goes wrong. He doesn't really have to know very much for that. He just has to be there <clears throat> and be honest and report something if something unusual happens. That takes but also then there are other jobs yeah, but that does for take which a, we... That takes a certain sophistication also because a lot of people could easily be confused by the balabas or by the workers and not realize what's taking place under their nose. I've That's seen that true. Often. That is true. But there also there are a lot of jobs for mashkichem who have to know stuff. Right. And, and one of the problems which we see sometimes is that a person who considers himself a very good mashkiach with a lot of experience, whose experience really only, he's only worked in a bakery. So his experience was at tre- checking ingredients, lighting ovens, and being mafresh chala. Right. And he doesn't know how you kasher a liver, how you prepare a liver. So he comes to a takeout store where he's been appointed mashkiach, and he's really a beginner because he doesn't have that level of knowledge. And that's one of the issues that I explain sometimes to, to stores you would really want, optimally, to have a mashkiach who is a mumcha in kashras and in its practical aspects. In that particular area. Right. But, but it's, and, it's, and preferably to have a good general knowledge, because if he doesn't have a good general knowledge of, of halacha, there'll be all kinds of things he won't realize. So now, Rabbi, I, I, now I'm asking you, not being facetious now, that we don't do that on this, on this radio show, but I, I want to ask you that, how do you find a mashkiach? What do you do 
How do you deselect them? But give me a little bit of an insight into Bahadrin K. Mashkichem. So a lot of times, Mashkichem come to me through word of mouth that uh, somebody is a friend of another Mashkiach. And a Mashkiach who works for me already will tell me, I have this fellow, I have a Chavrusa with him, to Chaza Yeridea with him, and he seems very knowledgeable, but he's only working very part-time and on Sundays, and he would love to have some kashras work to do during the week in addition to his part-time tutoring. So a lot of things come that way. But others come uh, from time to time. When I have uh, openings, I put an advertisement in the either Hamadia or Yated or one of the newspapers that's read by Bnei Taira. I'm advertising for a mashkiach and saying what I want, and I wait for the resumes to be faxed in or emailed to me. And I then look at which ones seem to be promising. And many times I don't wind up hiring them just at that moment because they're not suited for that particular opening. But if one of them sounds like a good person, I wait for an opportunity to hire them. But tell us how you decide or how you train a mashkia. Because we said before, you said before, that he has to be knowledgeable of that particular area. So what? how do right. you get that man who was in the bakery before, how do you get him up to doing the delivers uh, the in the takeout place? You, are, If he doesn't have previous experience in this type of a place, the Rabbi Maksha needs to be with him when he first starts out and, and talk it through, or the previous mashkia whom he's taking over from has to uh, work through it with him. How long do you think he needs until he can fly by himself? Depends how much or how little he knew before. Uh, I would say somebody, let's say, who knows Yeridea, they know the alochas of Kashrus, but they just haven't had practical experience. From the first day, they could be working part of the time on their own and part of the time with someone. And they may wind up, uh, you know, calling me on the phone 20 times that day. Is they a little less but experienced? Since they know, but they know what they're looking for. Right. If somebody is Namaritz, uh, he shouldn't really be doing uh, a job with sophistication. But a basic job, he could be instructed what to look out for fairly quickly. Let's say insect inspection, a vegetable inspection for insects. What quality right. do you need there? You need experience, you need to have learned how, uh, you need patience, you need very good eyesight, and you need to not be afraid of hard work. And what is your experience? You also need to know where you're checking, because there are big variations in, in product. You know, you'll get things like a mescaline salad, Certain high-end mescalines, which are particularly bitter, have very little infestation. Lower-quality mescalines, even though they may, they're the same bitter lettuces, but because they're farmed so poorly, they'll be very infested. 
So you need to know how to look through them, even though you might be lucky, and you'll see that the the supply that's coming into your place is not that heavily infested. So, so let's go now from the Bashkia per se. Let's go to a restaurant. I I was thinking when we were I was setting up for today. Maybe I'm wrong. You'll tell me if I'm right. Was wrong. I thought that Manhattan is a thing about restaurants. That's my thing I have about Manhattan. I constantly get calls about Manhattan restaurants. Do you think that the restaurants, the ones that you give Hashkacha to currently or did give before, do you think the fact that they're in Manhattan has any bearing in anything? Do you think that giving a, a Hashkacha in Manhattan a restaurant is any different than any place else in the world? Not necessarily. See, several smaller places that I give Hashkacha on, they belong to uh, El Chayidin, reliable people who are on the premises themselves. I can't see why they would be inherently any more difficult to give Hashkacha to than a, a little place in Borough Park. Okay, so you're not giving Hashkacha to... So, uh, do you give Hashkacha to restaurants where the owner is not a Shabbos Shabbos? I don't have at the moment. I, I have one takeout place where the owner is not a Shomer Shabbos. And how do but you I handle, don't have. How do you handle it in terms of mashgiach to me? Do you, is that your There, I have three mashgiachim every day. Three mashgiach. One mashgiach comes first thing in the morning to unlock and light the fires, and he stays there till the main mashgiach gets in. And when the main mashgiach is done, when most of the work for the day has been done, another mashgiach comes over and runs it till closing time. And he locks up everything uh, before he leaves. And the owner has to accept the fact that he cannot have a key to it. That's what I wanted to find out. Does the owner, um, you know, is, is he cooperative with it? I'm not, if he wouldn't be, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have kept the Ashkacha. Okay. You see, the, in that, there are big differences. I've, I've met people who are really not cooperative, and sometimes they were quite from. Like, I, I had one guy who, uh, one of the places that I dropped years ago, was a from a guy. Most of the time, everything was in order, but he was uh, constantly short of money, and because he was short of money, his regular suppliers wouldn't bring to him. So he'd bring in other stuff. And you'd have a, a new questions and new problems. And his mashkichem would quit on him because they weren't getting paid punctually. And he was trying to uh, cut them short and claim that, uh, you know, you came at 8.30, not 8.15, so I'm taking off a full half hour. So it was a cautious nightmare. So I told him goodbye, although he wasn't the type of person who would ever have deliberately brought something, uh, trafe into the store, but he wasn't the person you could work with. Right. What about the, uh, the from owners? What kind of, how much Shashkacha do they have? Do they have a Meshkiah Tamidi there too? Well, most of the from owners, on a, usually if it's a larger place, they don't want to be there the whole time. So they need a mashkiach tamidi, and, or at least uh, a from manager. 
see, this is where uh, the lines are a little bit blurred. The OU likes to insist that a mashkiach tmidi should be a person who's hired only for the purpose of being mashkiach, and that all his work should be related to well, that, that hashkacha. Not, that's not but the, that's the, the, the reality is that uh, only a large place could financially do that. So very often, the mashkiach is not so much a professional mashkiach, or there's a part-time professional mashkiach, and otherwise, the mashkiach is really the manager, who is a from person who the Rabbi Mashiach considers to have an amonis, and he has somebody in adi- coming in in addition to do things like uh, badikas of vegetables, which require a person to give their full attention to it. I, I think that the, I don't know if that's the OU policy anymore. What you said about the about not being really doing any work. I, I think they they're pretty much are doing work. But let me ask that back. No, but they like it to be work that's related to Kashras. Okay, okay. that he's that's primarily there. No, they they won't have somebody who counts the chef, who is a uh, from a yid and a neman that's right. also being a mashkiach. No, but they might make the mashkiach do work like, you know, peeling potatoes or, you know, cutting yeah. vegetables. But let's go back to something else. In that situation, we have a from owner. Uh, we not, are we not bothering, uh, are we bothering to uh, open and close the store with the mashkia? No. Okay. No, normally you wouldn't. He's entitled to have the keys himself, but he would then have to uh, understand that even though he's the owner, he drives a big fancy car, wears a nice suit. He has to be willing to be there at whatever time is opening time. He cannot uh, allow the uh, cleaning help to open and have free run of the place. That's very interesting. And uh, let me ask you about a, a dairy place. Is there a different? Is there a different approach to a dairy place vis-a-vis Mashiach? In theory, yes. In practice, not so much. <clears throat> In theory, what's the difference? That with meat, there's a dinner, Bussishness Alamanayan, that if meat is not marked and there's no indication that it's kosher meat, it automatically is prohibited just because there isn't a Jew on premises. Right. So therefore, you have to have somebody at all times. <clears throat> you can't say... Look, the the kitchen is already finished. Now they're just uh, putting out the chickens to sell them. There's no work going on. There are no deliveries. It's 6 o'clock in the evening. Let's leave uh, the Spanish-speaking help to handle everything. You can't do that because the chickens will become so that halacha does not apply to dairy things. However, firstly, you have the issue of fish according to most opinions, unless they're recognizable clearly, they also have such a requirement that they should have a simon. So that's the theoretical problem for a dairy place. The other problem is, what kind of a place is it and how is it being run? You usually want somebody on the premises who is responsible just to take care of things and to make sure that they didn't run out of lettuce 
and go and pick up a lettuce from the supermarket on the corner and just chop it up without cleaning it. Which, unfortunately, is very common in, in restaurants. I mean, it, it, clearly it could happen. You see, one of the things people may not realize about kashras is that organization has an impact on kashras. The place which is run in a very masudadika way, where they always order the same products and they measure exactly how much they'll need so that they don't have last-minute emergencies, is much easier to guarantee the kashras there than it is in a disorganized place where they suddenly decide to run a, a special dish for which they have to go out and buy ingredients. Okay. Now, it doesn't make it trafe just because you're disorganized. In your own house, you might think it's fun to suddenly decide at 7 o'clock at night, wouldn't it be nice if we had uh, fried portobello mushrooms and you run out to the corner to get it? But if you're running a restaurant and your mashkiach has gone from, for the day because everything has been cooked and you just left the, somebody in charge who is Jewish but doesn't know very much, how will they know to, uh, to stop the uh, chef from going out and uh, buying a non-kosher vinegar from the corner to mix into his special spicy salad dressing, which he just thought of? So we need that oversight, which is, which is basically a universal issue in a restaurant, different than maybe a, uh, a manufacturing plant. Rabbi, I just want to make an announcement to the people who are listening. They're listening to uh, Kashas on the Air with J Radio. And this is Rabbi Yosef Wickler with a little bit of a cold uh, from Kashas Magazine. And uh, our guest tonight is Rabbi Avram Marmerstein from the Manhadrin K, which is a Hashkocha in Manhattan, West Side. And he's a Rav in the West Side. And he's uh, been uh, you know, involved with Kashas Magazine for over 30 years, although we were still young people. So now let me, uh, let me just... Now, let me also say, you know, they say that a Rav has to not only answer a question, right. but he also has to anticipate what the questions will be. So, since you have a cold, yeah. you probably also want to announce to everyone that I think the Star K keeps a list of all the cold remedies, which are uh, truly kosher, and which one can use. And the, the number has increased over the years. I was quite pleased to see that emergency in a, a lot of flavors has Ashkocha now. Well, I remember when I discovered Fisherman's Friend, and I haven't used it in a couple of years, but Fisherman's Friend comes with no Ashkocha on the packaging. <coughs> and it, it, it comes actually with Ashkocha from the Manchester basin. And for some reason, because uh, Europe is a little interesting, uh, they ne never put it on the packaging. But the entire line of Fisherman's Friend, which is a very strong, one of those uh, sucking, whatever they call them, lozenges, a very powerful one. Uh, they're under, they're under the, 
MBD. Manchester based it. I don't know, but listen, I don't use that stuff at all, but I, I appreciate it. Thank you. If you want to come they, over. They say the traditional refuah is hot tea with honey. Oh, now, now you're talking business. Now you're talking business. Okay. But let's go back to uh, some of the cautious issues that are at hand. I think the next one I want to do is this thing about these supermarkets, because this is, I've always been fascinated by the fact that uh, Kashras was able to enter the, the world of the supermarkets in such a major way. I remember when the first breakthrough with supermarkets and the meat, the fresh meat, came from uh, uh, upstate New York, where um, they, they, they made the breakthrough there in the, uh, uh, from, from the, uh, in Albany, the Hashkacha over there, they, they decided to create you know, price chopper. Price price chopper, the first one, right? And it had the capital, the the part of the capital district. That's the name of it. It's from Albany, mm-hmm. and it was really a breakthrough. It's about twenty years ago. I'm not sure exactly how many. But years. It, I would say it's a breakthrough, which had two unusual elements. Right. One, the owners of Price Chopper are a local family up there. Golub. The Golub family. Yeah, who are traditional people. I mean, I don't know what they do observe and what they don't observe. But they're traditional people. They have a a feeling for it. I don't know if it makes sense, dollars and cents, but it's something they want to do. The second thing is success sometimes equals failure, and failure equals success. They did it at the request of the community because it wasn't the the existing kosher sources in the community didn't find themselves viable. But then it killed them, killed all of them. It killed what was left, but they they did it believing that these other places were were folding anyway. Right. Well, this has been a problem. And, and, And a gentleman, by the way, sent me an email, which I've been working on for the last few weeks. He said, I had an article in the Kashmir's magazine about the expansion of Kashmir's in the supermarkets. And uh, the gentleman wrote me, he said, why are you talking about the supermarkets and saying it's a wonderful thing or whatever? Because really, everyone should go to the, to the Jewish stores that's owned by a former Jew or even, you know, and, and support them. We shouldn't be going to supermarkets. Mm-hmm. And he said to me uh, you know, about different chuvas and abundance and everything, and it sent me working on this topic, and I'm working in the last few weeks on it, and it's really so interesting, and yeah, and what I learned was that nobody agrees on this topic. They're from one side to the other. There are people who say, you know, for convenience sake, for dollars and cents, you can go wherever you want. And others who say, you have to support the Jewish store. And some consider it to be tzedakah, and some consider it to be a separate mitzvah. And it's, it's a very, very interesting thing. Some make numbers of how much more the price could be before you go to the stores. But, but whatever it was, in America, the supermarkets are killing the small Jewish stores. That's a fact. Anybody reads the papers, they saw it. But anyway, let's, I'm interested in hearing about your involvement with the supermarkets. Okay, so I was in the situation initially where in my neighborhood uh, there was no kosher supermarket really at that time. There were a couple of little kosher stores, but there was nothing like a, you know, a cradle food store or Rockland kosher or gourmet glatt or anything like that. 
So everybody was buying in the supermarkets anyway, even if they gave as much business as they could to from stores. And uh, Fairway, which was a very popular store, at that time it had just one location, but it was an extremely busy location. And from people went there especially because uh, two of the partners were Jewish and contributed very generally to local moisters and so on. And people went there mostly for fruits and vegetables. At that time, they were planning to build a bakery. And it would be the only bakery in the area where they were baking you know, fresh breads and so on, which were, would be kosher. And they let me have a fairly free hand in how it should be designed. So I designed it from scratch with one oven on one end for producing baguettes and fancy breads and one oven on the other end for producing danishes and so on, which were milk eggs, and one mixer at one end, which would always be paris, and a mixer at the other end, which would always be milk eggs. And it was on a different floor from any other production area of the bakery, of the of the supermarket, so that you knew it would be completely self-contained and nothing else would mix in. But there are several problems which are inherent in the giving ashkacha to little departments of large non-kosher supermarkets, and one shouldn't underestimate them. One is that things get mixed up. You have to have a very good system for making sure that the pans from your kosher bakery don't wind up going into the trace butcher shop. Wow. I hadn't even thought of that one. But, yeah. That's one thing. That's one part of it. You know, on all levels, you know, if you're cutting, supposing you bake these very large farmer breads and you cut them on the bakery counter, you have to make sure that the knife that's used for cutting that won't be used for milk eggs and won't get borrowed by the deli counter, which we solve by putting that knife on a chain. <laughs> they don't make that farmer bread anymore, but um, when they did, we kept one knife on a chain so it couldn't go anywhere. Because you don't need pans? to wash off the breadcrumbs. You can just with, wipe them off. What do we do with the pans, the sheet pans? What do we do with that? She pins that you deliver the way I did it was not to deliver them on the sheet pans. They have special plastic pans for carrying the stuff from the bakery to the production area. In certain places where we have had to use it, the only place I can think of is there's one place where the production bakery is across the street from one of the stores. So there, they do sometimes bring it across, but we the system is, firstly, the trays are marked, and secondly, they're, they're delivered and brought straight back. They, they don't bring them to the loading dock. The person from the bakery wheels it in, unloads it onto the shelf, and wheels it right back. So the trays are never left there. 
what did you have in terms of hashkocha in in the uh, fairways? Uh, for bakeries, uh, spot checked. So the- I mean, some someone comes in and out uh, at regular intervals just to check on it because it's a fairly uh, straightforward operation. What about uh, Pas Israel and Shabbos? Um, it's not Jewish-owned, so we don't worry about Shabbos. And for Pas Yisrael, those places which I'm taking care of alone, I like the fire, or in some cases I have a heating element which I turn on and which stays on. Those places which are only under the Kafke, uh are not certified as Pas Yisrael. Uh, and... Uh and Shabbos, as I said, it's not right now. It belongs to a public company, and uh, there's no controlling interest of, of Jewish ownership. One of the things that always interested me, bothered me. Uh, say what you wish. Uh, you know, on Shabbos, I always imagined this. You'll you'll tell me whether it makes any sense or not. That on Shabbos, the bakery is going to be short and go to aisle thirteen and pick it up. And, it's not, and they're going to get one that's not kosher and use that. So, yeah. yeah, just to be on the safe side, I do occasionally walk over to the bakery on a Shabbos and walk in to see what's doing, just so that they should know that I could come then. Uh-huh. And and I do the same thing if I come back really late from a chasna, I drive there on my way home so that they can see that the rabbi could come at 3 in the morning also. They're not baking at 3 o'clock in the morning, are they? Of course they're baking at 3 o'clock in the morning. Okay, okay. All of it. Overnight is the main baking time for busy uh, bakeries uh, because people like to have fresh baked goods when they come in the morning. You wouldn't want to buy yesterday's bagels no, when you come that, in the morning. I figure that they, have, that they can just throw it in and take it out as, as they go along. But you would say they have, to, they have a big supply ready in the morning. Okay. Yeah. So, what else did you, in the in fairways? Do you have any other sections that you certify? Oh, we've gone back and forth and all over the place. Um, but one time, we were doing a lot of uh, meat preparation, which was being prepared in a separate facility, where they were cutting meat and packaging it themselves for all their stores. Then that shifted to packaging it in more stores, which meant having a mashkiach in each of the stores where they were doing packaging. Now they've kind of shifted back so that the vast majority of the kosher meat that is sold comes in already packaged from Meal Mart or from Teva or from Solomon's, from one of the big meat suppliers so there's no serv- serv- and uh, or chickens come in already packaged by curious yale so there's no, there's and no there are only a couple of places where they're actually it on site uh-huh. and, and are there any other departments that do handle i mean there's the fruit, de- uh, uh, fruit department we uh, give hashkacha on certain cut fruits which means that i don't give hashkacha on any cut fruits which need to be checked because I don't have the personnel for that. So if you go in, the the cauliflower will not have a hashkocha on it, although it's cut in a room that's used only for fruits and vegetables and is far away from the kitchen. But if I would put 
kosher under supervision, people would think I'm guaranteeing that it's free of infestation. Right. So the the items which are non-problems, which are run in the out of the fruit cutting room, will have ashkacha both mahadran kashras and the kafke. And uh, the coffee, which I never put an official hashkacha on it, but the kafke does. But they, it was kosher anyway. Even the flavored coffees they were bringing in for kosher. In some of the stores, I think the fresh-made peanut butter that's made on the premises has a kafke on it. Uh-huh. But it's not. that's not something that I've got involved with. Uh-huh. Now, it, I, I really want to hear a little bit more about this. We may have it chance to discuss in a moment. Um, we're just going to take a break. We're going to get back to our guest tonight, Ram Marmestein, who was the, from Manhattan Kashras, and uh, in west side of Manhattan. I've been having an interesting discussion about restaurants in Manhattan and about uh, the uh, about the fairways, the different supermarket situations that he was involved with. And also, we're going to be discussing, Mr. Shem, a little bit about matzah. But just give me a moment, and we'll be right back to him. Before we go back, I would like to uh, remind our listeners about our good friends at Glockmart, conveniently located at 1205 Avenue M. Shopping needs is their top priority. You, you can save a lot of money when you're shopping in uh, Glockmart, especially taking advantage of their valet parking service. If you come in from the East 12th Street entrance, and uh, they'll have the car ready for you with, with all those, put in all those wonderful items you purchased in the store. They have uh, about 50 items on sale every week from Wednesday to Tuesday. And uh, the, in, in, the, in, the, in Glockmart, the, uh, the quality of the meats is A1 with Ashkocha from both the Star K and the Vatakashas of Flatbush, with Base Yosef meats and with expert Nikor at Glockmart, you're getting quality kashras. Uh, Glockmart is conveniently located at 1205 NUM. And if you meet, go dove in Glockmart, tell them you heard about Glockmart and kashras on the air over J Root Radio. And without further ado, we're going to return to our guests, but I want to welcome, I want to ask everybody to volunteer to to share with us some of their thoughts on these matters that we're discussing, or if you have a question, you can call now, 718-683-5858. Again, 718-683-5858. You can call us on Kashmir's on the Air right now live and be able to speak to Rabbi Marmestein and to myself. Again, 718-683-5858. Or you can text us at 347-927-8398. Again, 347 347- Nine two seven eight three nine eight, or call us direct seven one eight six eight three five eight five eight. And while we're waiting for some people who might contact us, let's continue our, our conversation with yeah. Marmestein. I I think with, I'm also in the, in in terms of this hashkocha uh, on the um, on the supermarkets. First, how many fairways are there now? Fourteen. It's a big change from the early days. And I want to know, yeah. it's a little confusing to me, what is it that that Fairways gains from having your Ashkara and, and the Kav K, and, uh, and, how, and how does it work, your relationship with them? In other words, some things are mine, some things are yours. Well, how, do, how does this whole thing, it sounds very confusing to me. 
<laughs> yeah, it sometimes is. I, I tell you really the idea. Uh, it started out with just Mahadran Kashras right. because Manhattan was the base of Fairway. As they expanded and they went public, they also felt they had to make plans for when there'll be a national chain right. or at least a regional chain. So they wanted to deal with a large organization. Uh, now, there are certain things which are under Kafke right. and not under my Hashkacha. Right. Um, How would I know that? I see it in the stores. Oh, it would be marked. What? Marked. It would be marked. I tell people, if it isn't marked, assume it's, un- assume it's under nobody's Hashkacha. Okay. I- because here's that. another part. Yeah. Here's another part of what I would call the biggest danger of Hashkachas covering a segment of a supermarket. Right. It's not really a kashras danger, but it's a perception of kashras danger. Right. I was once walking into my local fairway, and I saw a rabbi whom I know slightly. I recognized him. So I said, Shalom Aleichem, how are you? And he, we schmoozed for a minute or two, and he was walking through the store to the back, and he came to the appetizing counter, oh and he said, oh, this is where I have to go because we're having guests, and I have to buy some fresh sliced lox, smoked salmon. So I said, because he's, you know, a musmach and uh, from a yid, I said, but you can't buy the fresh sliced here because they could be using the same knives for slicing the sturgeon. He said, no, I know the rabbi who's in charge here, and he's very reliable. Well, that's nice. <laughs> I, I said, yeah, but, but his hashkacha does not cover the appetizing counter. He said, take it from me. If you would know him as well as I know him, he's so reliable that even if it's not officially under his hashkacha, he would make sure that the locks by the appetizing counter should be (laughs) done properly. So I said, "Uh, what are you talking about? Uh, I'm really, I'm not sure if he was a bit confused or maybe I recognized him, but he just knew me to be vaguely familiar and didn't know my name. He didn't realize it was your Ashkoth? <laughs> I don't know if he thought I was kidding. I said, no, I know him. And let me tell you, he'll tell you very <laughs> specifically, this counter is not under hash- any kind of Ashkoth. Wow. And the store is not claiming that it's kosher. Wow, wow. That's but he stood problem. there quite unmoved and went on to shop there. That's why people have to be aware that if it doesn't say that the name of the on that, they can't. We, Rabbi, we have uh, the board lit up. So let's answer oh, the good. questions. Go ahead. Yaron Kash was on the air with Rabbi Avram Ar- Marmestein. Go ahead, please. Anybody? Hello? Yes, go ahead. You're on the air. Um, I have a question about uh, Pepsi. Okay. Is Pepsi not under the Hashkacha, under the Hafke Hashkacha? No, no. The Pepsi uh, company it has Hashkacha from Rabbi Charlap, and he, they put a K on it. But at the same time, every single time it is a, a Pepsi uh, uh, bottling plant, they put the, the Hashkacha of the person who gives the Hashkacha to the plant. 
So sometimes there are plants that are certified by the Kuf K, so they'll put a Kuf K on it, Pepsi. Sometimes it's by the Diamond K, they'll put a Diamond K. Sometimes they don't have anything, they'll put a K, a K on, if it's, if it's legitimately on the Hashkocha, at the bottling plant. And sometimes you might get an OU. You can get anything on there. I usually saw a chafkei no, on the cover. Because it depends where the where the where the, the soda is that you the beer was bottled that you were getting. You were getting it from this plant, whether you know it or not. Then the company that you the store you bought it in bought from a different plant, a different time. So in other words, I, I never saw another hashkacha besides the chafkei, but uh, no, I saw you, I I picked up a bottle that didn't okay. have any. I'm telling you, you can find a number of them across the country. A number of What's different. That? I'm telling you, that you can find a number of different symbols on Pepsi across the country. It doesn't. It is only one ashkacha on Pepsi. It's it, on the actual syrup. It's Rabbi Chalap. <coughs> Excuse me, but the the ashkacha on the bottling plant where it's made, and they add the water, and they add the the, the, the you know the the the, the 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 they have the the bubbles, and they bottle it. That that bottling plant. It could be under anybody, okay? So if there's nothing on the on the um, bottle, you, you then can, it a means... real Pepsi, a real Pepsi product, you could use anywhere in the United States, even if there's nothing on it. Because no, even if it has nothing, but that's and only in the United <laughs> States, and we're only talking about a real Pepsi product because if it says licensed by whatever, there's certain kind of other words. Sometimes it says certain words, and it really means that they have a right to use that trademark. That's not the same. But the regular Pepsi... No, I'm talking about a real Pepsi product, I'm but telling. I picked up a bottle recently okay. that have, didn't have, have any Ashkaka. Okay, it doesn't make a difference. Okay? Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you thank very you much. very much. Go ahead, please. You're on cautious on the air. Go ahead, please. Yeah. I have a question about sunflower seeds from the company David's. It says on it O-U-D, and I don't need O-U-D. Am I allowed to eat it? Is it good? What do you say, Rabbi Marvesty? Well, uh, probably. I would think, you see, the OU is very careful not to guarantee that something is pariv if it's packaged together with things which are milchigs. So it's quite likely if the ingredients are plain sunflower seeds, it's most probable that it only has a D because it, the packaging equipment is also used for yogurt-coated raisins or something like that. Uh, so, so probably it isn't OUD really milchig salpidin, and there's no reason to worry about cholabakum in it. But the, only the OU could tell you that for sure. Right, but there's one, uh-huh. more, one more So thing. I have to call up OUD to figure that out? You can call up the OU. Yeah, call up the OU to make sure. Two, okay. One, one second. You okay. can call okay. the, yeah. One second. You can call the OU at 212-563-4000. Again. Okay. But listen to me. If the yeah. thing was just, remember, the rabbi told you correctly, if it was just the seeds and maybe salt, it's fine. But if it, it uh-huh. has... But if it's flavored, then I can't. If, if they're flavors, they may really be dairy. You have to check it out with the OU. Okay? Thank you very much. Um, okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, another call. Go ahead. Johan Kasher's on the air. Can we help you? Yeah, hello? Yes, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, you spoke about before about the chosen on the fish. 
Although I heard from, I heard from him the light, but they're going around stores to make sure they're doing the correct things about color taking and this and, and make sure the flower is not getting to loom from near wet places. Mm -hmm. They said, mm -hmm. there's a look at the guy sometimes that bread also has to be, if it comes delivered sometimes with a boil sometimes, yeah. it can also be delivered with the two hoisomers or something. One hoisomers. Or three. One hoisomers. On bread, on bread. If I'm going to deliver bread, it has a tendency to put it in the eye. Yeah. You know, in other words, what the rabbi was talking about was the difficulty was because meat has special rules and needed two chosmas. And he's saying that some of the things, that was your, some of the... No, but ask him if, if, it's, if a guy delivers bread, it also has to be in a chosen, because I think that's... No, the rabbi just said that. Guy. Yeah. The rabbi just it, said that. Or, or it has to be identifiable. If there's a way in which it could be identified as uh, being from the kosher bakery, that would be enough. Like, let's say it's because in a label bag. Because the boy could go in and buy a bread from outside and put it in a kosher bag also. It has to be yeah, but if it, a kosher so with a kosher something. Yeah, so, but it need, doesn't need two kosher. There's no need for two kosher. It's three kosher. I don't remember exactly. Recognizable. Okay, I think we answered the question to the, the, uh, the way I understand it, that... Certain things need two chaismas, some things need one chaism. Of course, you have yeah. to be aware of everything, but it, it, you, to understand, first, I don't, either you talked about younger light running around looking at the things, I don't know what that meant. That, that if I send a boy to buy some bread, and then I found out, I don't know from where the bread comes, you understand what I mean? Of course. Have to you have to know where it comes from. Of course you have to have to be like a chaism in that. Right, but the point is... The point is that I, I don't. I, I think we're missing a, a little bit of each other's. If you want to call me up at right. the uh, at the office, I'll I'll help you further. Seven one eight three three six. Thank you. Thank you very much. Okay. Before we. I'll go tell on, you another thing though. Yeah. He he. What he brings up is another good point, and maybe this was what he meant. Let's say you have uh, a, a non-Jewish driver who's working for you, right. for instance, delivering proofs of the Kashrus magazine or some other merchandise, and he drives back and forth the whole day when you're going to press and you're too busy to do such errands. And you say to him, could you go to uh, Gourmet Glot on 39th Street and buy me a big loaf of bread and a container of cream cheese, and I, so I can make sandwiches for the whole office. Right. So he comes back, and you see from the receipt, because you're paying him back, you see that he bought it in Gourmet Glot. Everything is kosher, even though he's a guy, and the label doesn't say very much. There's just a plastic bag saying Gourmet $3.00. But you know from that that it's kosher. On the other hand, supposing he had to make a delivery in Red Hook, Brooklyn, and so you told him, go into Fairway and grab a loaf of bread there because I know it's under Mahadran Kashras, that would be a problem because if he brought a plain, fresh loaf of bread... You wouldn't have a way of knowing, was it the loaves of bread coming from the shelves which are marked clearly as being kosher, 
or did they that day buy some additional bread from somewhere else, which wasn't a part of the kosher department altogether? I mean, and he picked it up by the deli counter. Oh. So on that, you would need to see some kind of packaging showing where it came from. Right, right. And that's another issue between the places which are all kosher and not all kosher. Okay. I thank you very much. We have another caller. Okay, we're taking another caller there. I have a question to ask. Go ahead. Go ahead. You're on the kosher on the air. Go ahead, please. Uh, Sean Malek, oh, am I on the air? Yeah, you're on the air. You're live. Okay, so, so let me tell you something. I work in catering halls, okay? So you have a... Uh, nowadays, they don't want to hire Yidin. They want to hire Akum. So all the okay. other Benet Akum are there. And mostly Mexicans, they don't know what they're doing. And they, okay. they, they're given the meat, and by the time they put it on the table, they, who knows where they go and what they do. It's two hours later. What about Basa and the Shinisalan? Could be. That's, Could and, be. And, and don't tell me that one Mishkiach in the back, when he's, he, he's in the kitchen, he doesn't see what's going out in the front. And you can't trust these waiters today. Unless they're hidden, you can't trust them. That's why, that's why Vizhnitz has uh, Heimischer waiters. That's why Esquire uh, has Heimischer waiters. I, we appreciate the point, and we, we mentioned it in the magazine a number of times, and we've talked about it a number of times, and that's a very important point. We need to hire uh, Jewish people in, in the areas where they're dealing with the food as much as possible, from people for sure, and uh, it would be wonderful. And if, if, it's, if it's economically sound, and, and definitely they shouldn't be afraid of hiring the workers because of because they're, they're too sensitive or something else. Definitely, this is definitely the thing we should be doing. Thank you very much for the call. Amen. Uh, I, I want to ask you this. I had, I had somebody email it in, so I, I feel I, I must ask it. I don't want to mention any names, but one of the reasons I was talking about Manhattan restaurants is that I know that Manhattan is filled with restaurants, filled with restaurants that have rabbis certifying them that I would never tell anybody to use. And it's a very big problem. I wonder how do you handle it? That I don't want. If you're balabatim, don't want. I don't want them to think. What are we talking? Are we talking about the vegetarian places that are open seven yeah. days a week? Yeah, some of them have uh, have, have non-Jewish uh, with nominal hashkachas. Yeah, so you what I tell people? Because they, uh, but, firstly, right. those those are all over. They're in the suburbs also. Right. Um. They're in Brooklyn and Queens, too. But um, I tell people, any place like that, if you would trust uh, a non-Jew on your block who tells you, I don't use trace ingredients, you can trust these places, too. Right. That's what it is. Because basically, um, uh, let's talk tachlis. Most of them are vegetarian places. They're not many meat places like that. Uh, meat places with unreliable hashkachas, they're, they're few and far between, and they don't claim to use glut meat anyway, so medakta kimbemitzvahs are not going there anyway. The, the vegetarian places, they tell the truth. They, are, they have no hashkacha to speak of, there's a rabbi who hangs up a certificate. He gives them a list saying them what you're allowed to use, what you're not allowed to use, and he comes in once a month or whatever. It's not a real hashkacha. I tell them But all the time. Uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with saying 
that uh, it's better than eating chaza trace, but it's not for a person who keeps mitzvahs carefully. I just thought maybe you, you would have difficulty because they might think that you're, you know, putting down some of these rabbis. I, would I tell the people to say I don't. I mean, most of the people in charge, I know some of these rabbis personally. They're not bad guys. They just uh, are producing a very minimal level of kashras. It's not a reliable level of kashras. Right. But I asked the people when they come, they called me up. I said, "Did you see the ad about this product, about this about this restaurant?" I said, "It's. I mean, I know that without even looking, I know the answer." I said, "It's open seven days a week, and there's no mashgiach there at all. Even during the week, there's no mashgiach. There may be a yotzev and nechdes once in a while, but there's no mashgiach. It's fleishiks, no mashgiach, non-Jewish owner or prior owner." And uh, it's it, it's um, or maybe the vegetarian one, let's say. But the point is, there's nobody there regularly, and the place opens seven days a week. And I, yeah. when I tell that to people, they look again on the internet or on the on the menu or wherever it is, and they say, "You're right." But I don't understand why people don't have that basic sense to look and see. They grab, oh, you, it's near my place. It opened up. It's right near where I work in Manhattan. My goodness. First, let's the, the only thing I would point out no. is there is also another category. There are places like Coffee Bean, right. which I think actually has religious Jews as partners, and many of them, or all of them perhaps, even have a hashgacha, but are open seven days a week but don't really produce food there. All their food is packet comes in from outside vendors, and that's how they have actually a reliable hashgacha. Uh-huh. And then I don't know if there's any place like this now, but I know you used to have H&H bagels with a seven-day-a-week operation, and it had at one time the Kafke and right. at one time the Sparke, but that's more like a factory. Right. So factories don't sort of run out suddenly of something and go and buy a bag of sugar. They buy sugar by the thousand pounds. So easier. there's no reason to think that they'll, they won't suddenly start making uh, one type of bagel in a different manner. Right. Because right. without that, you can't rely on, on anything. Most of the factories which produce uh, large-scale industrial ingredients are run around the clock seven days a week. Rabbi Marvestein, I, we don't, our time has really run out, and I, we had a great time, but I, I, I didn't get to your, your matzah. I don't know if we're going to talk about that one afterwards. Maybe we'll get oh, to maybe I'll send you, maybe I'll send you in the mail some of the fresh wheat okay, but, that right, I right. have still as samples, and you can check if it's sprouted. And then we'll have a discussion about very it. Very good, very good. I want to thank you very much for joining us. And, and, and Rabbi, this is Rabbi Yosef Wicklow. I just want to remind the women or any men who want to for their women, they can sign up for this Motzei Shabbos for a, a training course for, for how, to, how to inspect the vegetables and prepare them for your home. With, they can bug, bug free by Rabbi David Goldstein, the expert in the field. It's a, for a several-hour program, two and a half hours, Motzei Shabbos. Call us at 718-336-8544, 718-336-8544. If you're interested, do it right away now because they only have five slots that's going to fill right up. And if you want to email us, do it at kashrus, K-A-S-H-R-U-S, at AOL.com.
Thank you very much for listening.